It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. This interview is brought to you by Transformational Mortgage Solutions. You can check out the full episode at lickingonlending.com. I want to welcome Ken Jones, president of ResX Warehouse Lending, a division of United Bank. He's on the program today to not necessarily talk just about warehousing. We may get into that a little bit, but to discuss the key topic of expanding your business through effective leadership. And it comes down to three defining pillars of success and leadership, but we're going to get into it. By the way, Ken brings over 25 years of experience. He's been a business owner. He's a leader in consumer finance, mortgage banking industry, and in his current position as president of ResX Warehouse Lending, division of United Bank, he brings just a wealth of experience and leadership. Ken joined the bank in 2017 to reestablish the bank's growth in warehouse lending. Ken, good to have you on the podcast, my friend. Well, thanks, David. You know, in Northeast Florida, we got two things, hurricanes and uh, and jaguars. So today, everybody's sulking because of another jaguar's loss, but we're giving thanks again that uh, the hurricane has uh, spared our coast and, and stayed uh, well offshore. So it's a, it's a good day. Well, uh, it, it is a good day. Sorry about the Jags and their, their loss, but uh, there's a lot of people say. I like what you were saying to one of your friends. I got an email, and they said they've offered me a new job as the head coach. I thought, I think just a lot of people think they could coach the Jags better than, than the current leadership there. But anyway, man, but you're doing a great job there at uh, ResX and Division of United Bank. But let's get into a little bit of your career as we get to know you and talk more about leadership, especially your comments. What you know, I want to talk about the beginning your career and I want to talk about the contribution where you started picking up some leadership tendencies. So how'd you get into the business intentionally or by accident? And then talk about your leadership journey a little bit. Well, you know, I, I got into the warehouse business a little bit by, by accident. It was back in the, you know, the 2008, 2009 era. And uh, we, were, we were sitting in a small community bank uh, on, on the executive team and, the CEO said, you know, we need to make more money. And one of the ways we can do that is warehouse lending. And, and so uh, he looked at me and he said, you're a mortgage guy. He said, go figure it out. So, you know, that was 10 years ago, we embarked on, uh, you know, figuring it out. We've had some great success. But beyond that, I want to talk today, you know, what I call the pillars of leadership. And, you know, throughout my career, I've had the opportunity to work with many successful leaders. And I think like all of us, you kind of pick pick up things um, and, and you forget things along the way, you know, some some that are good and, and some that may be not so good. And, and I think, you know, throughout our careers, whether we look at in the, you know, in our career or in the, or in the, you know, in the sports world, we can, we can surely reflect on some examples of those leaders that have been, you know, autocratic or, or those leaders that have been, you know, very positive. And, you know, each time, you know, every, everybody gets results, but it depends on how long those results last and uh, how they're able to influence people. And, in my career, I've been fortunate to work in, in both public companies and non-public companies 
banks and, and non-banks. And, and one of the things that I've learned over the years is that, you know, no one style fits all, you know, you can't, you yeah, can't treat sure. everybody the same. And that's particularly important in today's uh, workforce. You know, 10 or 15 years ago, people were focused on climbing the corporate ladder, not to say that they're not today, but, you know, you sacrifice your health and your family for, for the good of the corporation. I've worked for one organization that said, you know, when it was next man up or woman up for the opportunity for promotion, and if that required a physical relocation with your family and you said no, then you were terminated. I think, I yeah. think in today's environment, people would reflect back on that and, and say, you know, okay, well, you know, I'll leave. You're not the type of employer that I, that I want to work for. So I, I think that, you know, there's been a reshaping of, of people's thoughts and values over the years and, and their goals. Sure, sure. And, you know, today's workforce, I think you have to be much more sensitive to, you know, people's common values and create environments that encourage professional growth at you know while at the same time providing flexibility and meeting people where they need to be and and uh, you know we've seen some companies do some unique things uh working remote that's not r relatively a, a new paradigm but you know working remote bringing their pet or child to work the company my son works for he gets breakfast and lunch every day you know, provided by the wow. company. And then there's other companies like, you know, GE is just one example that provides unlimited vacation time. And, and so it really encourages people to, you know, balance life and work. And, uh, you know, it's the employer kind of, dem you know, managing costs, but at the same time trying to demonstrate, you know, kind of a quid pro quo, you know, it's a two-way two street. And so I think before I get into you know, the, you know, the pillars for success. I, I want to say to me at the foundation of everything is to be able to, to build trust as a leader. Right. Yeah. And, so true. and I think that, uh, you know, trust kind of transcends every relationship that we engage in, whether it's a uh, work, marriage, friend, friendship, dating, sales opportunity, yeah. coaching, and, and so on. And, and if you can't build and maintain trust, I, I think any relationship is, is doomed. And, there's a guy that wrote a book by the name of, uh, I might not get his last name correctly, Patrick Lencioni, right? And, and he oh, yeah. writes about oh, yeah. the five dysfunctions of a, of a team. Yeah, we're big fans of that book. I mean, in fact, I was on a coaching session with one of my clients. I do a lot of executive coaching, coaching management teams on the topic of leadership, but that's why we're kicking this series off because there's there's just such a big need of it. And he's one of my go-to guys that I use virtually all of his material in helping people see that. And so I think that's it's really important. And so let's get into these three pillars that you mentioned to become a successful leader. Let's start off with the first one. I, I like the point of it, building at the speed of trust. Gabe Minton mentioned a book in his segment that we had on, gosh, probably a couple months ago now, and it's basically the speed of trust building, and it's it's the trust internet. If you can build trust on the internet sooner, faster, your your e-commerce is going to be so much better. If you're looking at building and having a successful business relationship, the faster you can get to trust, which is relationship, you're you're better off. So how do let's start off with the first pillar that you talk about. Sure. Yeah, I, I think creating a, a vision, right? Communication mm -hmm. is is really important. And, and whether you have a, a small team, I mean, I've managed groups as small as five and, and as many as, as 500. And, and to me, the, import, the most important goal is, is 
you know, always to be, to be consistently communicating a vision for the team. And, and that vision could be, you know, big picture of where we're going, you know, two, three, four, five years from now, or it could be as simple as, you know, here's a particular project that we need to focus on and work on, but, but you have to be able to articulate and, and set that vision out. And, you know, you have to follow up with, you know, communication on, on progress and, and results along the way. And I like to do that in several ways. Um, you know, you get your team meetings or books or videos or things like TED Talks are really great methods to engage a, a team. You know, in our warehouse business today, we monitor and track a lot of data. What that does is enables our team to be focused on our overall success. Let me tell you a, a quick story about, you know, creating a vision. You know, some time ago, I had a division of 20 offices, and I was promoted to this division. And unbeknownst to me, it had a horrible reputation with its state regulator. And in That's fact, not a good thing. In, yeah, <laughs> That's not good if you're banking. Yep. Job, 60 days into the job, I was called to the state banking commissioner's office for a meeting. And, and I, you know... It, you know how you remember some things of where you were and how you acted and, and, and so on. So I sat in this dimly lit conference room with folding tables and plastic chairs. And the elderly looking banking commissioner came in and sat between his deputies. And he looked at me and he said, young man, do you see those licenses hanging on the wall? And I said, yes, sir. And he said, then you either clean up your offices or I'll pick the licenses off your wall one by one. Do you have any questions? I said no, and he adjourned the meeting. <laughs> that created a little bit of a clear vision, a little abrupt sure. to the so, point, I guess. So, that, but but in in creating the vision, you know, that wasn't my immediate goal, but it it quickly became our immediate goal, and, and we put, you know, we got the team together, put put uh, put a put a plan together to clean up the offices, and over the next eighteen months, each employee knew when an exam was done how many violations there were, what they were, and they also learned about the importance of communication and respect. And we went from having 200 violations per exam down to five, and we went from we were on a biannual rotation with the examiners to, uh, you know, an, an annual examination. So the point is that when you communicate and you rally people around a specific cause, you're generally going to get uh, good results. That's so true. Have you, do you see some people within the mortgage lending space that are doing a good job on creating vision? I think there's, I mean, we don't have to name any companies if you don't want to, but I, I think it's just so important in communicating the vision both internally, but then also it can be such a powerful marketing tool in creating your vision externally. I love that. Thoughts? Sure. I mean, it, yeah, I, I, I do see, you know, the nice thing about being in warehouse lending is, is you have a portfolio of companies. And, and so... Yes. You know, you get to you get to see the range of those that you know espouse a vision One thing and, and and those yep. that are you know focused otherwise. I, th I think the second pillar for me, and you, you know, this is I don't want to kind of order these one, two, three, but this is really an important one for me is is being vulnerable, right? And yes. and I think to yep. be a good leader, you have to be vulnerable with your team. You know, being vulnerable doesn't mean that you know, means that I don't have all of the answers. I'm going to make mistakes. I'm going to talk to you. I'm going to apologize if I've made a mistake. I'm not going to let pride dictate and, and say, well, you know, I'm always right and, and, and you're wrong. And it says I care about you as, 
as a person. And, and I've always felt there, there's no shame in a, in a genuine apology. And I think when you can be vulnerable, it augments the potential um, to build uh, trust and says, I value you and, and I appreciate you. And I think at the, at the end of the day, right, that's what, what really drives us as human beings is we want to be valued. We want to be appreciated. Sure, having a job or a title or a salary or, or an incentive plan, you know, all of those things are important, but but at the at the base is you know I I want to I want to be valued and and I want to be appreciated and and so I think to be able to get to that you have to demonstrate a level of vulnerability. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. And one of the things that Patrick Lencioni says in one of his books that it's the ideal team player. He says it's the three attributes he looks for in character of someone is someone that's hungry, humble, and smart. And there's a lot of smart people out there that are hungry, but the biggest thing that people struggle with is the humility part. And I think, which goes to your point of being vulnerable, is there's a component into that is humility. And vulnerability helps bring about, you know, transparency, which is another thing that brings about the whole trust thing. So it's, it's being real and talking to people. Do you have a good story on this pillar? that you could share with our audience? Sure, I oftentimes I, learn more I, from the stories I, than I do from the yeah, points. That's a great question. I think about another example in, in a prior organization. I, I had a high-performing team, and as in most organizations, the better results, um, the better the variable compensation, right? The, the better the incentive. Right. And in this particular company, we were acquired by a large bank. And over a period of time, the bank considered the compensation levels to be um, almost, you know, they say outside their survey quadrants, right? But, you know, they just thought it was excessive. So they came to me and they said, we want you to cut employees' pay, right? And, and well, anytime you have to go down that road, it's not an easy process. Um, you know, especially if I'm the one that, you know, if I'm the leader determining and communicating, you know, the amount of the pay reduction and when and, and, and oh, who's yeah. impacted. So I got creative. I wrote, like, one of these Harvard Business Review case study type, you know, formats, and, and I call it the compensation conundrum. And the case was atypical to our industry, right? And so I described, you know, all the facts and without them knowing who it was or, you know, who was impacted. And we convened a meeting with our, you know, the division and re region managers, and we studied the case together. And then we split them into groups, and their instructions were to come back three hours with recommendations. And I didn't, I didn't give them any say, you have to, you know, do this or accomplish this. I said, here's a case study. Come back and tell me what you would do. They came back and they said, you know what? We need to reduce our compensation levels with, with our, our, our incentive compensation, and we need to reduce <laughs> it by 15%, right? Well, that was a huge win, right, in, in many fronts, right? One, we, we got to where we needed to with the bank, Two, we got, you know, inside of their boundaries on, on the compensation. But more importantly, we built, you know, consensus and trust. And it was right. because it was their idea, right? And yep. and they could accept it. They were able to communicate. I mean, ultimately, I had to communicate it, but they kind of laid the groundwork. And, and in doing yeah, so, they, you know, it, it was really a great outcome. Yeah, I love that. You know, oftentimes getting the results we need, it's not – knowing what to do, but it's ex how to administer what to do, which really gets to your third pillar that I'm really excited to be talking about, doing what's right. So 
you know, I like to be, I'm, I'm competitive and I like to win just like most everybody else. I mean, I'm always, I'm always hungry. Right. Yep. And, but I think it's a, as a leader, it's my responsibility to protect the team. You know, one thing I probably would least like to do is call up my boss and everybody has one, whether, you know, and if you're the CEO, you answer to the board, right? So, you know, but to pick up that phone and call somebody and say, you know, we have a problem, you know, we've got a, a warehouse customer that's uh, $5 million and, and they're going under, right? And, you know, to prevent occurrences like those, you know, surfacing, I think it's incumbent upon us to, you know, as, as leaders to always focus on doing what's right. And if I protect the organization, then I'm protecting the employees and I'm protecting the shareholder. Uh, I reflect back on, I was boarding a prop plane one time, you know, you walked up the, it was, it wasn't the ramp it you walked up the steps. That's how small it was. Yeah. And I asked the pilot, I said, do you ever worry about all the, all the lives of these people behind you? And he said, no, he said, I focus on doing my job right each and every time so that I land the plane. And if I land safely, everybody else is safe too, and everybody else lives. And so, you know, that yeah. that kind of, you know, philosophy stuck with me. There's another book that I like, John C. Maxwell's uh, 21 yeah, Laws of Irrefutable Leadership, right? Yeah. He's got the, yes, the yes. one called The Law of, of Navigation, about two explorers that were on a race to reach the South Pole, Right. One guy yep. did the same preparation, yeah. right? Uh, um, yep. While the other used unconventional equipment, you know, took an extra person along, had inferior cl- clothing, and so on, and 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 the the outcomes were were polar opposites. No, no pun intended. One guy made it thirty days before the uh, the other one made it, but on the way back, all the other members perished. So that leader didn't do the right things. He made commitments for himself and others without really fully understanding the conditions and thinking through things that they were going to endure. And I think, he, you know, in that example, he, he failed himself and his team. So with respect to doing right, you know, it's always, you know, my foundation is about being ethical and thoughtful that builds a solid foundation. And when you set high standards for yourself, and have high expectations for yourself, you increase your chances of being successful leading teams. So, you know, I've seen uh, throughout my career many examples of people, you know, failing because they lied, they cheated, they made bad loans, or, you know, they lost too much money. I've seen a whole lot less fired for for not making enough profit, right? So, you know, if you get the foundation right and, you know, back to – you know, Mancioni's book, you know, trust is the foundation of that. So, so those three, you know, pillars help build and facilitate trust, you know, creating a vision, being vulnerable and, and doing what's right. And, uh, you know, that's, that's kind of helped me uh, be successful doing what I've, I've been doing over the years. Yeah. For a long time and doing well. Let's get around to our regulars. I'll start with you, Joe, and then I'll get over to you, Alan. Joe, any questions you have for Ken? Yeah, on that last one, doing what's right. We in the mortgage industry have so many people who are compensated 100% based on closing a loan, which gives you a little bit of a conflict between, you know, if I get this loan closed, I get paid. If I don't, I don't get paid. So uh, 
when you're dealing with customers who are taking out warehouse loans from you, do you try to get into whether or not your customer employs that kind of pillar in how they do business? You know, that's a, that's a good question. First of all, in in assessing the business, right, I mean, we can't be the determiner of whether we like or dislike your compensation program. We have to make sure that, you know, it, it follows the, the SAFE Act. But I can tell you that, you know, in my warehouse lending career, there has been at least one example that I'm, I'm thinking of where we did not do business with the company because of how their compensation program was structured. And so I think the other you know, thing, Joe, is, is, is that you know, when you're managing a portfolio of companies and you have the range of, of uh, you know, different styles of leaders, you know, it presents an opportunity that when you see things, you can reflect back on your experience and, and offer some, some tips and, and ideas to, to people to help them. I, I think, you know, the segment that we target is the, the small to mid-cap mortgage banker, and often there's a pretty significant void of um, uh, structured leadership within those organizations. There's well-intended business owners that, you know, uh, some do it better than others, but you know, many get lost in the day-to-day activity of you know doing the next loan and 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 closing the closing the deals. And to be successful today, at you know whether you're a, a small non-bank or you know you're in the courier business or or any other business, you know any kind of small business, it's important that you take the time to develop a culture of developing people within the resources that you have and the budget that you have. And, you know, I think you can have something more formal if you're a larger organization and, and, and have the, the resources and that could be management leadership development programs that, you know, you pick up from the outside or industrial psychologists or professional co- coaches or mentoring. Or if you don't have all those resources, you know, you can, do some more informal things like there's some great webinars on on LinkedIn. There's TED Talks. There's um, I'm a fan of the you know I call them MOOCs, uh, massive open online colleges. Right, they're provided by major universities that provide free continuing education that you can actually get certificates for CEs for. And so those are some of the things that you know I think you can do to help uh, strengthen your organization. Alan. Your neighbors there. You guys down with that. You're both in the Ponte Vedra Beach area, so you get to interview one of your neighbors. Yeah, it's good to, good to talk again, my friend. We uh, we had lunch uh, last time, which was great. Thank you. So, you know, leadership comes in all sizes, and an organization. You know, we're, we're focused a lot general, and then we're focused on the loan in, loan business. But you know, it's such an important project management and technology, and just operational staff um, for them to understand that someone supports the vision. At times, that's where a lot of chaos happens. So any, any tips or suggestions for the sort of the middle of the road, especially pertaining to our industry? So I think it gets back to, you know, communicating, right? And, and, and that's easier said than done, but it's critical to building, you know, what I said, trust, but also it's critical to building cohesiveness on the team. And, you know, I, I know there's a lot of things that, that go on day to day, you know, that and, and distractions that occur. But, 
you know, I'm, I'm really um, a proponent of having regular formal meetings. We do things uh, within our group called business unit reviews. And no matter what level you are in, in our warehouse organization, you have a part in that formal presentation called a business unit review. And so, you know, when you engage people and you have them participate at all levels of the organization, you know, that augments your, your ability to communicate and, and get a clear, consistent message across your organization. Now, communicating is, is, is one thing, you know, that's me talking to you, but as the leader, it's just important. And a chuckle when I say this because it's easier said than done is to be a good listener, right? Because yeah. just talking to you is, is a one-way one dialogue. Listening to your team and, and staff says, I, I hear you and, and I value your input. But listening doesn't always mean I adopt your ideas or concepts, right? Yeah, that's and good. I, I good agree. distinction. Hey, Ken, I did hear somebody say something one time, which was, I thought, very empathetic. It was, we're all human. I make plenty of mistakes as well. Let's just learn from it and move on. And that, that sometimes yeah. settles because people become nervous in different areas and depending on, you know, did I let someone know ahead of time that something was going wrong or did I wait too long? And then that nervousness builds up issues. So anyways, yeah, I agree with you. Well, you've been very generous with your time today, Ken. I thank you so much talking about the three primary pillars. There's so much more we could get into. One of the books that you turned me on to, and, and you're a book reader, is John Gordon's book, The Coffee Bean. And I, I love yes. that. Share that principle in that, if you wouldn't mind, real quickly, and we'll wrap it up. Sure. But I got that book over the weekend and read it. It's just really good. Talk about the principle of that. Yeah. The premise of The Coffee Bean is... You know, life is, is full of challenges and, and obstacles. And, you know, what happens when you put a carrot in very hot water? That carrot is going to become soft and weakened by its environment, just like we would in a, in a difficult uh, situation. You know, similarly, if we put an egg in very hot water, it becomes hardened and it becomes conditioned to its environment. And, you know, we say, well, we don't care about this and, and, and all those types of negative thoughts. Alternatively, you know, the coffee bean, when you put it in very hot water, over a period of time is transformed into coffee, right? So it goes with right. life and leadership, right? We are influenced by our environments, and that presents choices for us. We become part, you know, we can become part of the negativity, succumb to the adversaries, relent under pressure, or are we going to be transformative and lead others around us to successful outcomes? And I think when we become transformative leaders, we have a positive influence on others and we build long-lasting, sustainable results. So we have a choice of will you be the carrot, the egg, or the coffee bean? Yeah, I always said this, managers are like tea bags. You really don't really know what's in there until you throw it in hot water and see the flavors that come out. You can smell it, you think you got it, but it's the hot water that brings out the flavors. I love the book, the concept of the book. So but thanks so much for joining us again today, Ken. It's been 
great to have you on. Appreciate your sponsorship and look forward to listening to more of your wisdom and programs up ahead. Next week, folks, we've got Scott Rose of Class Valuation. I recorded the interview this last week. It was a really good interview. I was trying to figure out what's going on in the world of appraisal. It's kind of one of those sleepy areas. Scott Rose's interview will give you some new insights into what's going on as far as innovation in an old area, the valuation process. So be sure to check out. They're using some interesting technology, one of Alan's favorite topics. You'll want to listen to next week's podcast. Don't miss it. So we'll see you back here next week. A special thank you goes out to our sponsors, Black Knight Open Mortgage, Resex Warehouse Lending, a division of United Bank, and then also MBA, the Lenders One Cooperative, as well as the Mortgage Collaborative Cooperative, CMLA, Community Mortgage Lenders of America, Velma, Knowledge Group, Vidyard, and AI Assist. Thank you for listening, and have a great week, everybody. See you back here next week. You've been listening to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update with your host, David Lickin' of Transformational Mortgage Solutions. Join us next week, and thanks for listening. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.